I think we're starting the show. Three, two, one. That's loud. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Aaron Flores. And I'm Joan Pettit, broadcasting from our homes in Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks. And today, journalist and lifelong cyclist, Peter Flax. Peter Flax, um, of formerly of Bicycling Magazine, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Formerly of Bicycling Magazine, he uh, covered the tour, um, the Tour de France. <laughs> I was like, which tour? And which tour? Yeah. I realized I just uh, deleted all of my little text, but yeah, he did that. He, he hung out with some of those, you know, famous racer people whose names we know um, and has for the past several years been in Los Angeles and been into bike infrastructure, <laughs> which is how I started following him on Twitter. He was ranting about Sharos last week and I was like, or two weeks ago. And I was like, we need this guy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we should ask him only about. Sure. There are those fancy race bikes, but yeah, I mean, I think he probably would have plenty to say. Plenty to say. Uh, anybody who bikes around a city has plenty to say about bike <laughs> infrastructure, I think. Uh, so I have, speaking of transit, I had an experience that should not be remarkable, but feels very remarkable in these pandemic times. I took the bus last week. That's remarkable even now. Twice. The pandemic. <laughs> Outside of a pandemic. Oh, yeah. I used to take the bus, you you know, sometimes, but. Well, I had to drop off uh, my car. I had to drop off my car to get uh, to actually the roof racks, I think, are leaking. So I dropped it off at a place a couple miles away. And I was going to put my bike in the car and then just ride home and then go back later and pick it up. But it was close enough and it was really cold that morning. So I just decided to take the bus for the first time in more than a year, partly just to see what it was like to take the bus. I I couldn't, I could hardly remember how to pay. (laughs) I had to like re-download the app on my phone. (laughs) I I had to re-download the app and I had to like look up my account and you walk in the phone, in the bus and you hold up your phone to the thing, but I couldn't really remember. Did I need to be in the app? And then, you know, I felt really silly, but you know, the bus driver didn't care. If you tried to pay in cash. No, no, I knew I had money. I had the money in my account from, oh, you know, are they allowing that again? The early days no, no, of 2020 no. or whatever. <laughs> What's that? No. Well, they had stopped that for a while, but, but they had no. Pay. You you can't you can't pay cash no. on the bus anymore. No, uh, that was just because of the pandemic, though. They, no. Yeah, it's mm, it's, it's it done. Back done. On now. Uh, maybe you can that now. Pay yep. 
cash. So Joan, Joan, you keep the. Hop, <laughs> I don't know. You keep the hop card on your phone. The hop card is the card or pass. Yeah, Port Portland has the yeah Portland Transit TriMet has this thing called the Hop Card, which is a physical card, but then you can also use an app. Uh, and so I have the app associated with my card. Yeah. And here's and here's Peter joining us. Good evening. Hello. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Great. Well, I'm Joan. We've got Aaron and Armando. Hi. And uh, we were just talking about my very extraordinary adventure of taking the bus last week, which doesn't seem that extraordinary, except it's just not something I've done in a very long time. <laughs> Riding buses during the pandemic is sort of a special occasion for a lot of people. It did feel like a special occasion. It felt like I only went a couple miles, uh, and but I did it twice in one day, and it was fine. It was totally fine. Well, congratulations. All, everything. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It's a big, big moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you? Are you taking the bus much these days? Uh, the only time I take the bus these days is I I, uh, I pretty much don't have a car. So when I need a car, I rent one um, at LAX, which is just three or four miles away from me. So I um, get all ideological about that. And I take the bus to rent the car. Um, and it turns into like a pretty extensive process. But renting a car is also really weird these days because um, the rental places are empty. Oh, yeah. Empty of cars or empty of people? Some of both, but more of people. Like the, I, I rent from Avis, and I'd say their inventory on the lot of LAX is maybe like 10% of what it would nor normally be. But when I go in, they're like, oh, Mr. Flax, take whatever you want. Like, they're, just like, they're always trying to like, you know, you want an Escalade? I'm like, no, I really don't want an Escalade. Um, you know, it's kind of, um, there, aren't, there aren't that many regular renters coming around the, the traveling salespeople are sitting at home like i am and you are right they're like do you want two cars <laughs> for the price of one <laughs> it's a it's always like the conversation of what they perceive an upgrade to be is is just like i i've many times put on my record like i i don't want a dodge charger and i don't want an escalade but you know there's upgrades you could give me but their sense of like what represents an auto upgrade for an American consumer is different than mine. Yes. That reminds me of the time that, uh, Armando, we went down to oh, the yeah. Swift summit and <laughs> I was supposed to get a minivan. Cause I know how to fit bikes in a minivan. And I let the guy talk me into a Tahoe and I couldn't fit shit in that Tahoe. Yeah. We had to take the bikes completely apart in order to fit them in there. But everyone had a cup holder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah everyone had a cup. That's true. It was cushy in the back seat there. <laughs> um, well, Peter, we were uh, we were just doing a little chit-chat, but, um, you know, you have been, you, you said, a lifelong cyclist, and I know you've worked as a journalist, and, for, and uh, you've covered lots of races and fancy bike things. <laughs> but uh, for the past several years, you've been in LA and and really become interested and invested in in infrastructure right and using your bike as is uh not as a sort of racing machine but more as a way of just getting around town so how is it riding in LA how's it been for you 
It has been up and down riding in L.A. that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, Los Angeles is a great place to ride a bicycle. I live near the ocean, and so, you know, uh, the weather's great, and there are these beachfront bike paths, and um, there are beautiful hills and just lots of places to to ride. And, and so it seemed like when I moved here that I really could have a car-free life and just get to my job riding and it has been possible but it's it's um like when it's at its worst riding in la is um spectacularly dangerous and scary and and it like definitely made me attuned to um the perspective of utility riders in a in a big city and that um you know when i was editor-in-chief of bicycling i lived in um the lehigh valley valley of pennsylvania which is just this like bucolic wonderland for recreational riding. And I'll, you know, even though I had ridden in cities, I just didn't have the same kind of like day-to-day perspective I had once I moved here. Right. Cause when you were there, your roads were more like, like fitness, longer road rides, right? Like not, you know, going to get groceries, but, but more like going out for, for a workout. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I rode my bike to yeah. get groceries, but, um, you know, if you live in Allentown, riding your bike to get groceries just isn't that <laughs> challenging, um, and and um, it's just not the same kind of contention over the real estate of the road like there is in, in Los Angeles, where, you know, I regularly experience this kind of outward hostility that was pretty new to me. And L.A. is... I mean, given the topography and the weather, it should be perfect for riding your, or it seems like it could be, right? Such a perfect place to get around by bike. I mean, certainly in, um, you know, most of the city is is manageable in terms of hills. There's definitely some real hilly parts, but um, the majority of people could um, use a bike to get to work, um, to get to the store to get to their kids schools it's um you know i i don't know i feel like in the last like since the pandemic i feel like we've had like eight rainy days in los angeles it's like an unbelievably cush place to um in terms of like climate problems to to, to ride um so it, it it could be much better than it is the infrastructure is just pathetic here like in a way that people from portland would just um would not just believe how bad it is here. You mentioned you were near LAX. Is that like the El Segundo area? Yeah. Yeah. I live in Manhattan beach, which is just one town over um, from El El Segundo. And uh, I spent a weekend there recently and marveled at the lack of sidewalks around there. And in the same way, the experience in LA has shifted my perspective on bike riding. I definitely, um, you know, feel like in a lot of ways I'm advocating for pedestrians too, because it's, um, you know, not a city that just really takes care of, of people walking around that, that, um, you know, for the first few years I lived here, I worked at the Hollywood reporter. And so I was riding my bike into the mid city area and I would just all the time just see kids or old people, being asked to cross these giant boulevards with a flashing light counting down from 20, where it's like literally they have like seven or eight lanes to get across. And, and, and it's almost like the city is saying, you know, you're an afterthought. 
And, and, and so I definitely feel like this kinship between bike riders and people who are, you know, spend a lot of time walking around that a lot of the same issues, uh, you know, are shared. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, in terms of uh, American or even North American cities with uh, higher numbers of people who are using bikes for transportation, it does seem pretty unrelated to weather and even topography, you know, like Seattle has lots of hills and a fair number of folks who bike. Um, maybe there are more e-bikes there, but I'm thinking of all the folks uh, in Minnesota, which, right. you know, like if you were going to choose the perfect uh, weather for bicycling, it would, I mean, I know Minnesota's great, Definitely but that's Minneapolis in the winter. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it'd be Minneapolis, right? <laughs> right. It'd be LA or, I mean, maybe not Orlando, but it'd be Southern cities or Southwestern cities. Right. And, but it's just, it's uh yeah, I saw on Twitter you, recently, you had some thoughts on, on Sharos. <laughs> I just, I have a, a like an, a, an ever growing hatred for Sharos that, that it's like, because they even there was a school only a mile or so away from where I live, where there was a community debate, where it's a a street that's really just has no reason why there isn't a bike lane. It's super wide. There's plenty of parking. There's schools on either side, and then in the end, the town just decided to put charros down on the pavement. And it's really like they're just saying, like, we care enough to do the very least in this situation. That that um you know we're gonna paint some weird symbols that people who drive don't even understand. And, you know, here's your protection for your children to go to elementary school. I mean, I was, you know, it's like you mentioned Portland and Seattle and, and Minneapolis and, and like the depth of car culture in Los Angeles is, you know, this is just a place where like in the mythology of the city, like you came here and you like rented or bought a bungalow wherever you felt like it. And you drove to your job, wherever it is. And that's just how it is. And so, you know, we, this is the most populous County in America. There's like over 10 million people that live in LA County and people often live 30 miles away from where their job is. And so it's like, if you put those two things together, it's just like a cluster that's not easily solved by bikes. Could be, but uh, possibly, uh, you know, I, I guess there's there's a, some sort of train or in town, but but a bus, yeah, the bus bike combo can work work really well. I don't know. Have they had a when we had um, when scooters were out, electric electric scooters were out big. Um, what was it? A few summers ago here in Portland, I feel like what they were saying is that those were great for like. The like, you know, mile in between the bus and wherever your destination was, like filling in the little gaps. And it seems like, uh, yeah, like riding your bike to the bus or something like that could. Um, but but then, of course, you need a good bus system, too. I know it's a big bus system, but L.A. is so I guess it's just so sprawly. It, it is, and it's so decentralized. Like, I, I grew up in New York, and so in New York, it's like everybody lives in these suburbs and exurbs, but everyone's sort of pointed in towards the city, and the issue here is just, like, everyone lives in some random place and works in some other random place, and, and so, yeah, public transit's super hard. Like, I work in Santa Monica now, and if I have some 
issue with my bike or just some other reason and I want to take public transit to work, I'm committed enough where I'll do it, but it's like way slower than riding a bicycle. Like for me to get from where I am to my office, it's like 13 or 14 miles away. It might take two hours on buses to get there. It's just really, I mean, I could really get on like a beach cruiser and get to work faster than I could on the bus. That's amazing. I I would feel like that's a distance at which the idea that it's faster to ride your bike just seems, yeah, yeah, kind of bonkers. Um, Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm about three and a half or four miles from work and the bus and my bike are about, about the same, depending on, you know, traffic and, and all that. Um, I could walk it probably in an hour, but for that sort of distance, yeah, that's a, that's a long haul on a bus. That's when I, I think if I had to do that, I would end up getting a lift or something. Like if, you know, if I had some sort of mechanical on the bike and didn't want to deal with it. But in LA, like that lift is like $45. It's like not an insignificant um, issue. And, and so for a lot of people, when they start doing all the calculus, they just feel trapped with their car, right? They like carpooling is challenging because then you need to line up with people who live near you that also work near you and, and, so, you know, the way I talk to people here is just like, if we could get like another 1% of people to ride a bike, then it would change things for the better for everybody, right? It would, it, it would, it would have a significant impact on a lot of lives. We don't, like, we, we, don't, we have these conversations, like we don't need 20% of the city of Los Angeles to ride their bike to work. We need like, if 3% did it, it would change things for a lot of people. You need like three people, three people could do it. (laughs) Make a difference. Yeah. 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 I know you don't need that many people. It's, it's better for everybody, but, and do you feel like uh, there's any traction there in these conversations? There may be people in city government. There's been traction. I think that um, in LA, the advent and popularity of electric bikes has really had a pretty sizable impact that, um, you you know, given that very few people, live like three or four or five miles away from their job that um, an electric bike makes it seem more feasible to a certain demographic, at least, you know, on the the sort of Western, more affluent part of the city. I think um, it's become an option where more people feel like they could imagine leaving the car at home every day. Um, And so, you know, and so there's been traction, but it's not like there's been a revolution. But I don't know, as someone who rides every day, you know, there are there are still thousands of people who ride their bikes to commute in L.A. It's so big that it's still like a really sizable, vital community. It's just a fraction of what's out there. Well, let me ask you another question. You said you you ride your bike every day. Um, so, you know, some of us have jobs that aren't, connected to riding our bikes. You know, I worked for, uh, in my twenties, I worked for, uh, several years in outdoor recreation and we had conversations about, you know, what does it mean when you, uh, kayak for fun and then you teach whitewater kayaking for your job, you know? And so it seems like 
bicycling has also been, it's been your passion, but has also been part of your job for a long time or most of your, much of your professional life. Is that, is that the case? And do you feel like it's, uh, has it at all, you know, like, do you ever, are you always happy to get, well, maybe not always happy, but has it, has it changed your relationship with your bike or do you feel like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the way I think about it is like, I'm coming up this year, I, I'll be married 20 years later this year. And then when you think about like a relationship in a marriage and, and how it just evolves and changes over that span of time, like, and I've been married to bikes for a lot longer than my, my wife, she's comfortable with that. Um, you, <laughs> you know, and so the relationship has, has changed a lot over, over time. and 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 I think that's like what what the like the beauty of my relationship with with bikes, where it might have been a time fifteen years ago where i I was really into say competitive riding and 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 thinking about bikes as like a training tool um and and just like all of the permutations of having been into to commuter riding and on performance riding and leisure riding and bike touring and all those things are just like layers of it that are, 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 are beautiful. And so now I'm always just um, excited to see how the relationship will, will, will change for me. The pandemic has been really like a surprising challenge where I, I like have developed such an identity as this like hardcore utility rider and and like the loss of my bike commute has just been super hard for me where i really struggle to ride just like on some recreational loop like i'm going to go out i'm going to put on like spandex and go you know get my heart rate up for 90 minutes just now to me feels a little foreign and 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 so i've had to uh, adapt in ways that i'm looking forward to putting behind me I think that's something a lot of folks can uh, relate to. I, yeah, I used to ride my bike to work every day and now I have to, yeah, like even, you know, I took the bus the other day instead of riding my bike for an errand, although that was, you know, half for the bus adventure. But, um, but yeah, now, you know, trying to ride my bike to, to run errands and I haven't actually gone on uh, like on my road bike for sort of a long I don't know, fitness ride or recreational ride. I, I don't even remember. I think I was scared last spring because I didn't want to have to, you know, I didn't want to have a big accident <laughs> to go in an ambulance or something like that. But it's, it's easy to lose those habits and behavior patterns. Yeah, for, for sure. And so I, I uh, you know, like my love is the same, but I'm really looking forward to um, just, kind of having this daily relationship with my bike where I have like a point A and a point B. And um, like, I love that part of riding right, right now. I, I did have this ride like maybe a month ago. I have a friend here in Los Angeles and he got two like, um, like high performance e-bikes, like actual, like fancy road bikes with a, with a motor. And he was like, Oh, we should go for a ride. And we went up and we did this like, loop in the Malibu Hills, which would be like on a regular road bike, you would have come home and been like, I did something epic. And on a, on a e road bike, it wasn't quite the same. And yet it was like amazing how it gave me this window 
of like how few people have like ever had the experience of, of like, you know, riding up a hill for 40 minutes and just being in like the, the kind of wilderness around a city and feeling how the air feels and feeling what it is like to descend a big hill. And I came away just like, like I thought I went into it pretty cynical. Like I thought it was going to be just a parody of a bike ride. And it was, it was actually pretty damn cool. That's so interesting. So was it like you could, you could enjoy it more because you weren't just trying to like get yourself up this, yeah. up this hill in quite the same way, right? Like, yeah. Plus my friend is like way fitter than I am. And so it definitely <laughs> just being this thing where I just spent two hours sulking about how I was out of breath and unable to keep up with him that, um, you know, it's still like on those bikes, if you go up giant hills, it's still work. It's still, um, you know, I, I definitely came home and was aware that I'd been on a bike ride, but instead of like it being on the baton death march, it just felt like a leisure ride. It, yeah, that's true. Like you could, but, and, and in terms of like being able to hang with folks who are, you know, uh, much more, much fitter or, or faster, that's a, it's a good equalizer, isn't it? I mean, that is sort of the promise of e-bikes, right? Like is, is utility. It can make it, you know, you can get to work in your regular clothes and not be sweaty, even if you're not in great shape. Yeah. I, d- I definitely think the space for like performance e-bikes is pretty narrow, but when I talk to people say around my community and, and about this idea that they really could, have a household with one car instead of two that when they see all the people on e-bikes and they, and they like can see like, Oh, I could get up in, in jeans and a sweater and, and ride to work and not have to take a shower when I get there and have big panniers that can hold all my stuff and, and that everything is just made easy. And then once they do it and they're like, Oh, like this is really like fun and invigorating and, and I get like the right, like this amount of exercise that just feels like a super positive thing. Then you start giving people an alternative to, to driving. And th- that's where I'm like, I'm excited about e- e-bikes is just like it not being in, the, in, in comparison to a conventional bicycle, but as being a comparison to a car. Yeah, Peter, we really started seeing that here uh, through the pandemic. Um, well, Portland's a lot smaller than L.A., uh, so it's a lot easier to notice things. But even people, you know, cycling in general. But then the the e-bikes really started taking off here, and there's so many now. We see so many people uh, commuting or just riding for fun on e-bikes. And, and is there controversy in Portland um, wh- where there's some pushback on on people on the uh, e-bikes? I don't know if I would say controversy. I mean, I think there. I mean, I guess in the bike world, do you think? People might think, oh, e-bikes, you know, that's not going to be me. But I don't think they're thinking of, like what you were saying earlier, getting people who wouldn't normally bike on a bike. Um, And also getting people, getting commuters to be able to commute a lot simpler than driving somewhere and and making it easier. I mean, uh, we have a, I think we have a friend that uh, her commute went from like five miles to like 12 miles. And so she decided to get an e-bike so she continued, she could continue to ride to work and it works great for her. Yeah. 
that's a really good oh that's a really good question about the attitudes towards it here i think that there was uh maybe a few years ago a little bit of like uh, sneering and and snobbishness towards e-bikes but i also think that portland has enough of a you know, if everybody's sneering at e-bikes, somebody else is going to stop sneering at e-bikes because if everybody's doing it, it's not cool. And also people don't want to be too aligned with like sort of race culture, racer culture, right? And so if if people who are being snobby about e-bikes are people who... Yeah, I think, I don't know, there's enough different kinds of little groups here. There's all kinds of different ways of riding different bikes here. So there may be some, but I don't know that it's significant enough. I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? That is a good question. I imagine the sneering was mostly towards the e-scooter than the e-bikes. I remember, gosh, here comes Aaron talking about the old days. I remember like maybe eight years ago when I was like getting into like Portland bike culture, uh, the e-bikes were just beginning to be a thing and it was still kind of novel for people to have them. But then there was sort of this, uh, I don't know, kind of reaction to like, Oh, well that's cheating. You're not really riding a bike. And I, I totally, I totally think everybody's come around by now. I, I think they've been around long enough, at least around here. Um, and they're common enough that people just kind of take it as just another way of, of getting around um, a little bit less. So with the scooters, but even that, I think um, the more I see them, the more I, or the, the more I see them, the less I see like that reaction towards them. I think the biggest controversy was um, uh, bike share here in Portland is, is, is bike, bike town. Um, and initially we had bike town and the bikes were not e-bikes. They were just big old heavy regular bikes and then last year or yeah last year they went e-bike so now we have e-bikes for bike share uh but the biggest controversy is like oh the 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 cost went up it costs more now to rent the e-bikes and so everybody that was using the bike share now is uh disgruntled that it costs more to to use the e-bike so they didn't do like here they just have both where like in santa monica where i work um you can rent a conventional bike that costs one amount and or rent an electric bike that costs more. Oh, well. No, we just have the, uh, well, we, we just have one bike share. And so that's the, that's the main thing. I mean, there are places you can rent bikes and or rent non e-bikes, I guess. Um, but they're much, much smaller or sponsored by like a hotel or something. I, I also think that with e-bikes, there are, enough people who have uh, cargo bikes, like big cargo bikes to move kids and have e-assist that, um, which is, so as a, as a utility bike, I think there's a lot of acceptance of, of e-bikes because, you know, if you're pushing around, I don't know, three kids and a thing full of groceries, <laughs> you can be really strong and hardy. And, but if you're going to, you know, that, that's, that's quite a load. So. Any, anybody that makes fun of like a mom with three kids and in a cargo bike does it at their own peril. That's what I think. <laughs> those, those are hardcore so, parents. That's on those so badass that I just would never, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to touch that. I can't imagine <laughs> taking three kids grocery shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I know there was one time that I went to work 
this was like maybe three or four years ago. And, and, and I got that whole cheating thing, like a guy who I know at work, who's like a real roadie and I've ridden with on road bikes, saw me roll up to work on an e-bike and he was like, Oh, you're cheating today. And meanwhile, he's there with like a luxury car with his Colnago on the roof rack and he's calling me a cheater. I'm like, what dude, what are you talking about? You just like drove your bike to work and you're calling me a So it'll be apt. Yeah, you you had an you had an assist too, pal. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of funny. Yeah, because on your e-bike, you could also probably pull along another bike, <laughs> another road bike to go for a ride in the middle of the day. Certainly, <laughs> if not, you can give someone a really quality draft. I know that for years when I never rode a, uh, an e-bike, I was always looking for them on my commute just because it tends to be pretty windy down near the beach and. It's like sitting behind an e-bike is like heaven for a road biker if it, if like the wind is right. So I think we can coexist. It's funny. Aaron talked about the old days. I remember uh, commuting to work a few years back and I saw um, a little kid's glove on the on the ground. And I looked up, you know, I looked a little ahead of me and I saw someone on a cargo bike. I'm like, oh, I bet that little kid just lost his glove. I'll go I'll pick it up and go catch up to him. So I'm pick it up and I start chasing him down start chasing them down. And then all of a sudden, wait, Oh, that's an e-bike. I'm not catching them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not going to catch up to that. (laughs) Well, uh, let's see. Um, anything, is there anything in particular that's caught your attention lately, uh, lately in terms of infrastructure or I saw you posted earlier today, an article, uh, in the, Philippines about the extraordinary number of bikes that they've imported there during the pandemic. And it's been, it's interesting to see how popular bicycling has become during the pandemic when for so many of us, we're riding our bikes so much less too. It's this interesting contrast. Yeah. I mean, I see it everywhere. I definitely am. I have all sorts of weird Google news um, alerts pinging me when I wake up in the morning. And so I, like to follow this. And I think pretty much everywhere in the world, the renaissance of bike riding and bike sales has been like the biggest thing since the seventies for, for, for the activity. And so it's like as someone who was already in the core, you know, it's weird because now that there are, you know, I, I go I go into my local bike shop and it's just like this entirely new demographic has like come out of thin air that's buying stuff and riding. And, um, and I think it's just great. Like I, I don't have, um, anything negative to say that I think, you know, the bike industry has struggled for financially for a pretty long time. And so to have this like phase where worldwide they're selling anything they can make is just great. And, and that the more people that get on bikes, even if it's just for blowing off steam during the, quarantine that it just makes people more aware of like what the experience of is like of being on a bicycle where they they live like i i think that a lot of people that i have issues with way more empathetic if they just had the occasional experience of being on that same road that we're on while they're on a bicycle of just of 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 like instead of just thinking of of bike riders as these like unpredictable naughty you know entitled idiots that that they would be like oh actually i kind of understand what they love about it and i understand how hard it is to be 
safe. And I understand how if I get to Whole Foods 15 seconds later, it's probably okay. Like they, they, they would, their, their whole worldview would change if they had that experience. And so the pandemic has, you know, put just millions of new people on bikes. Do you think that that the interest is going to be sustainable, that these folks who are buying bikes are, you know, you think they're just going to end up in the garage, in the corner or in the basement? Or or do you think that, I guess, can you read, what's if you read the tea leaves, do you think this is going to be a big change and maybe a surge in interest? I do. I do. I, I mean, I, th- I think that there'll be lots of um, bikes collecting cobwebs in the in the garage, but I think overall, surge will have a significant impact and that part of what you see are so many towns like big cities and I I get tons of news alerts for these like little towns that I've never heard of where they're they're um you know making an adaptation to main street so that people um you know can ride their bikes and they they've changed how the, the corner infrastructure of how people cross the street on foot. And I think like in my hometown, the restaurants were really struggling. They, you know, took over, um, you know, some single digit number of parking spaces and built this like outdoor dining area. And now, now everyone, especially in LA, everyone's like, this is great. Like, why would we go back? Why would we give up those parking spaces? Because it's really fun to eat lunch outside and like, it's beautiful here and, and, and so I think in that sort of way that a lot of the changes that are happening will stick, you know, well, it'll, it'll be a fight in certain places because, you know, cult- culturally not every place has the same a- attitude. Like there's still like large groups of sort of populist folks that, you, you know, just hope it all goes back. Yeah, I was in uh, a few years ago, I went up to Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, I, I took the, it was sort of this idyllic thing where from Portland, you know, you can, you can walk your bike up to the, to the, to the baggage car and hang it on a hook. They hang it on a hook for you. So you don't even have to like put it in a bike box or anything like that. And, um, uh, my friend and I got up there, we rode our bikes to the Airbnb. We rode our bikes all around town and I can't imagine, it was so easy and the bike infrastructure was so good in comparison even to Portland. I can't imagine many American cities being able to, I mean, I think the train got in around midnight and we got to our Airbnb just fine. We rode all around. And even as somebody who's a very comfortable sort of utility cyclist, I can't imagine many American cities being like that where, you know, you could show up late at night in a new city you know, from, from another country, ride your bike across town and, and be that, that confidence. So it'd be nice if all this surge led to more, you know, infrastructure and more demand for, you know, yeah, protected bike lanes. Cause that was also all, I mean, all over Vancouver, it wasn't just a bike lane, you know, there would be like huge hunks of concrete in between you and the cars too, not just paint. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's traveled with a bike, a lot that when um, I go someplace like that, um, where it's just such a pleasure to ride, you know, I, I guess my my point of view is that I do think American cities will be like that at some point. It's just like a question of like how many years or decades do we have to wait, and how many thousands of people will have to die unnecessarily before that that happens. Like it will it will happen. It's like already 
just moving in that direction, but it's just sometimes so slow because of the friction and resistance from people who are afraid of change. You know, it, 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 it's like so many of them, if you talk to them, like I, even in the bike space, I, um, before he died, I got to know John Forrester, who's like this legend of U.S. vehicular cycling. And I went down to visit him in, um, in San Diego maybe a year before he, he died, and we were talking, and it was like, have you been to all these European cities where it's just so low stress to ride and he never really visited them. He never ridden a bike in them. And it's like, if you haven't seen it and just appreciated what it feels like, it's hard to imagine it being overlaid where, where, where you are. And so traveling is a huge piece of, of this, I think for people to, to, you know, do visit cities and then go like, Oh, it is possible. It is great. What are some of the, um, what are some of the, your favorite places where you've traveled to, to, to ride around in the city? I mean, we, I might be able to guess at a couple of them, but, but what are your favorites and especially oh, I, some I, that surprised you? I mean, other than like the Scandinavian greatest hits, which, um, you know, are as good as, as you think I, 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 um, you know, I love riding in Italy, which is like considerably, uh, am I allowed to use vulgar language on your po- podcast? Is, we encourage uh, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Riding in Italy is kind of batshit. Like it's really like the driver, it's kind of reminds me a little bit of like riding when I used to live in Boston, but even cr- crazier. And it's just like, but, but um, everyone there loves people on bikes and, and like both the city and the countryside is spectacular. And it's like the, with no offense to the Pacific Northwest, the availability of quality espresso is like the best in the world. And, um, you know, it's just a wonderful place to get on a bike and, and ride around both like the cities and the, on the countryside. I'm like super eager to go to Paris because it's like, there's probably no other city in the world that's like transforming as quickly as things are there. Like I've ridden in Paris and frankly, it didn't strike me as particularly great. And so I'm like, I just see so much happening there. I, I really want to like go there and, and check it out. Yeah, the, is, it's the mayor there, right. Has made some real deliberate and specific attempt efforts yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. Now, now I'm writing, you know, bike trip in Italy on my post pandemic dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, um, you, you know, I don't know if you follow, um, bike racing um but this race called uh strade bianchi was um just this past weekend and um i've ridden in that area around like siena sort of the hub of that race and the countryside of tuscany is just like one of those places that feels like holy ground if you're on a on a bicycle there's these dirt roads that all have this white sort of sand and and it and it's just a magical place where, you know, you can just, in a way that has nothing to do with a bike race, just ride from town to town and you sort of pass through really quiet countryside. And then suddenly you're in this medieval town and it's very magical place. Do you think um, uh, Mayor Pete is going to have as big of an influence, I think, as all we bike folks are? I, I I don't know if you've been surprised, but I've certainly been surprised. God, I hope see- so. I don't, I mean, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have been surprised. Like, I, I definitely, like, 
kind of rolled my eyes when he first got the nomination. And I was like, oh, it's a nice thank you, you know, whatever. It, it, it's like I love the sort of symbolism of, of, of having um, someone gay or lesbian with that kind of power. But I didn't actually think that out of the gate he would like, and just in terms of his messaging, um, just show the kind of perspectives he has. And, and it's also like been interesting that I don't feel like he's faced an overwhelming opposition to what he, he's expressed. Like I, 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 that's like from following, like here, like here in LA, if a city council person speaks out in favor of bike infrastructure, they just get like, destroyed by populist opposition but i think on the national level it's it's different and it seems to be going well so i i um man i hope he succeeds except for his yeah, uh, he, saddle height i was gonna say i hope he adjusts <laughs> to the right saddle height oh you beat me to it armando no that's the whole thing is i could absolutely care less i like that that um in a way that i used to be such a snob like i used to be the editor-in-chief of like the largest enthusiast magazine. I was like the editorial king of Fred's in America. And, and I just could <laughs> like to, to let go of that, of, of just like, not like, of, like I, I just, all the time I like, I, I rem, like, even when I go out now, I'm like, Oh, I look around and I used to like think things when I saw triathletes in their arrow bars in the, in a weird moment or people with mirrors hanging off their helmets or people with pr- primal jerseys with pink Floyd signi- insignia on it. There were all these things that like, that ma- made me kind of like subtly other people. And now I'm just like, man, they're on a bike. That's so good. Like they're, they're like my brother or sister. And for me, that's been like the best part of what I've how I've transformed like now of just actually just like feeling this genuine connection to everybody I see riding a bike. That's, that's, yeah, that's great. Right. Like we're all trying to do the same, the same thing in our own different ways and maybe for our own different reasons, but more of us being out there is just better for all of us. I think. Yeah. It's, it's almost like thinking more about what connects us than what separates us and 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 realizing that the bicycle is like this just beautiful thing and and it doesn't mean that i still don't like love a high performance bike or still don't like think about my socks before i go out for a bike ride like there's all these like kinds of nuances of like whatever part of bike culture you feel a, a part of but but to, like i have sensed a change within bike culture in the last few years where people are more open to embracing everybody else, but maybe just because like the culture is just seems so full of friction in every other aspect that it's like the last thing anybody has energy with is like, you know, feeling negative towards somebody else riding a bike. You know, like there's so many other things you could argue about. What do you think is uh, something as, as the King of Fred, King of Fred's um, that you would, say that you do now that back then you'd be like oh that's that's totally wrong that's not how you do it oh man like a million things like like almost impossible to um to try and think of like i i definitely like think about when i like not this year but like about a year and a half ago 
I was pretty fit and I went on a really big ride in the Palm Springs area with a couple of friends that are just like still pure roadies. And I always thought like, like when I wanted to kit up for that, I was like, what am I going to wear that that's going to like say that that's not my culture any, anymore. <laughs> and so I like, I wore spandex, but put like khaki shorts over there. And I, I wore like a cotton t-shirt and, and it was like part of what, I was saying was like, I'm still want to go out and be like rad on a road bike, but I, I, there's not a uniform to do this activity. And, and that like, and, and, and so it's still like, I had a really nice road bike and I was still wearing like pretty expensive road shoes with it. But I was like, just sort of expressing this idea that there's just no, there's not much of a dress code to do anything on a, on a bike. Um, and, and, and like that to me is like a, really big change of, of just like really thinking narrowly about like, like apparel and what a stupid thing to think, like yeah. put that much energy into of, 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 of like, you know, oh, like what brand is it? And, and like just the stupidest stuff that, that like, it means absolutely nothing. I'm trying to think what else. Yeah. yeah I just like, I, I definitely, I went through a phase where I, um, when I was commuting to the Hollywood reporter that I just like went to flat pedals on a, on a, a really expensive road bike. And just like somehow for me wearing like vans while on a super fancy road bike with flat pedals made me feel expressive. Right. Like that's like, that's something that like that expressiveness uh, of, of like what, like I think a lot of people who care about riding bikes understand that in some way you wind up feeling like you're expressing something about who you are through the act of riding a bicycle and, and that there's like this infinite range of ways you can do that. If you, if you open your eyes to just like, you know, all the possibilities, I still have my saddle height, right. But I (laughs) I have, um, (laughs) although, although it's like, I'm at the age now where I think that it's like, I'm getting close where maybe like, it's like a millimeter every two years where it's like my saddle is coming down and I'm like at that <laughs> age, I have to live with that. coming up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a hard thing to, uh, to admit. So, you know, good for you. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, tonight. It was, it was great to chat with you and hear, get your thoughts on, you know, the various kinds of bikes. I love the idea of, you know, yeah, m- mixing up your your fanciest gear with like your, you know, your khaki shorts or your Vans or whatever. That's a that's a great fun way to think about. Yeah, the kind of biking I think a lot more of us are doing. Yeah, it's, it's everything's possible, and I oh. enjoy talking with you guys as well. Oh yeah. Also, just FYI, if you like Adidas Sambas, they did just introduce a new shoe for bikes as well. I, I will tell you that I know because they're sold out. Oh, really? You you checked it out already? Yeah. I'm I'm already investigating whether a friend in Europe can like score a pair for me, and I can ah. pay so I like I just pay some ridiculous amount because I like lo- like love sambas, and they also had more colors in Europe than they did in the U.S. Oh. market. So I would encourage people to just get busy on the internet and see what they can figure out. Now I know what I'm doing tonight. 
Yeah, there's a new there's a new pandemic associate uh, or obsession for folks to try to track down <laughs> those you know, yeah, clipless click, clipless sambas. <laughs> They're cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. You're very It was very a real welcome. pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, nice to meet you all, and have a great night. Did he did he call himself the King of the Freds? King of Freds. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Former, former King of Freds, to, King to of Fred. clarify, yeah. Like, that was his professional, that was his job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, so did you want to, uh, I guess you, you, you gave a, a little preview. I, I gave us a of little bit of our, sneak peek. Um, of our headlines. Yeah, we could go into our headlines. But first, I want to mention that today's show is dedicated to Richard Wazinski. Richard, you know why. And also, yes. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Also, as always, thanks to our nationally recognized top beer bar in Oregon, our beverage sponsor, the Beer Mongers on Southeast Division and 12th, now open for more than 4,200 consecutive days with extended hours now till 10 p.m. on Wednesdays through Saturday with a patio outside. And if you're lucky, you might be able to catch some sports with sound. The big stick remains on the indoor ceiling. So if you're there to just pick up a few brews and go, you might be able to see the indoor stick. But you can no longer drink under the big stick. Someday. 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 Someday we will all sprocket. We'll all have a cheers under the big stick. And, you know, our avid listeners, maybe that can be a, a, a post-pandemic activity. We'll, we'll meet down there and invite, you know, all the listeners oh, within. Awesome. Sprocket life within under the big Viking. stick. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, that's a post-pandemic list. We all have post-pandemic lists. Oh, yeah. List. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like a bucket list, only it's like after the big event, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's after instead of before. Right. Hmm, interesting. Um, so I'm I'm boring tonight, and I'm just drinking water, just straight up water. That's all. Are you calling me boring? Oh, <laughs> I just assumed both of you had something more interesting. I have water that is bubbly, and I and I put some uh, tangerine in it. So. Ooh, Armando wins. It's a little fancy. That is fancy. Well, I will tell you all. That because this is something everybody loves to hear about, except not at all. I'm gonna after we're done recording, I'm still gonna lift weights. So I thought it was perhaps better not to have a beer uh, beforehand. Oh yeah. So, so did you did you get the weights before pandemic? Like, have you always had these weights, or did you have to go through the like pandemic weight craze that everybody else has gone through? Uh, yes. I, so I, I, I spoke about this a a few weeks ago. So for some people, this will be, so I've always been a little bit intimidated by, uh, gym. So I've had some weights at home and at times when I was more into like long road rides and then I was doing some weights at home and I started with a personal trainer and I had some kettlebells, but then, yeah, uh, I have acquired this suite of bar. Well, I was going to say barbells. There's just one barbell, but heavy weights and a squat rack and a bench and all that stuff okay. really in the past six months. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. So yeah. Like what have I done? I've learned to 
deadlift and squat with a barbell during the pandemic. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. It's very satisfying. The thing, my uh, my next goal is is to be able to deadlift my body weight, which is you know not not too far from. Yeah. Oh, I may be doing it wrong because I don't think I can deadlift even half my body weight. Well, it's about progressive overload, Aaron. You gotta you gotta <laughs> add a few pounds. I see. <laughs> Each week, also. <laughs> Also, I top off at, I think our, our biggest weight is 15. So, Oh, well, that's going to be a real... Have the little, you know, the little, uh, what are those, dumbbells, right? Well, uh, you know, they're back in stock in a lot of stores. <laughs> <laughs> if you were looking. <laughs> so Anna and I would order, and usually we would find them, like, at Target, and we would do in-store pickup. So then we would ride our bikes or take transit to the downtown target and then have to ride back with oh our sack of weights. <laughs> this is when, this is when you need the e-bike. Right. <laughs> this is the use case. This is the use case for, for the bike town e-bikes <laughs> or the cargo e-bikes, you know, whether you're pushing three kids around or, or picking up your, your weights. I did get them by car. They weren't oh, delivered yeah. to me, but I did get them by car. You can get a mail to you though. That's true. I d- yeah. Armando, have you, have you succumbed to the weight craze yet? No, I, I left, I deadlift myself out of bed in the morning. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, well, it's all about, you know, I don't know. I I'm I want to be able to do things when I'm old. And so I need to be able to do more things now. So right. I think think a lot about aging as I as I as you age. As I think about the fact that 50 is not that far away. Let us not discuss that any further this <laughs> evening. <laughs> we'll cut this one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast in circles <laughs> around the city lights. All right. So we teased about it a little bit earlier, but here it comes from our good friend Josh G from bikepacking.com. Adidas launches the new Velo Samba cycling shoe. And this appeared in the Sprocket email, but it also appeared from him in my personal email. And so one, I see you, Josh. I see what you're trying to do. You know how much I love Sambas, and you're trying to make a convert out of me. Josh, I love you very much, and I love that you're the only person I know who wears the clipless sandals. Good for you. But, okay, this might be the, this might be the, I was going to say, but you can't make a convert out of me, but this might be the thing to make a convert out of me. Mm. Maybe, I mean, if... If they feel like regular sambas, otherwise, well, I would think they would at least be stiffer. And so, even if you didn't ride clipless, they would be. They might be a little bit stiffer. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'd, 
hey, anyone out there got the Velo Sambas yet? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> Sounds well, like we have to do some research in uh, what European countries have them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your, your post-pandemic travel can be going to Europe to buy some shoes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from come. <laughs> yeah, they're the only ones who've got your size left in stock. <laughs> Can they hold them, please? Put them on a 24-hour hold, mopping on the plane. Well, um, we saw this article in Willamette Week, although it showed up in, in lots of places. It's national news. Uh, Blumenauer wants tax credit for e-bikes. Congressman Earl Blumenauer, a Democrat from Portland, has introduced, with somebody else, I can't remember who else, has introduced a bill to give up to $1,500 in tax credits to anyone buying an electric bicycle. The Electric Bicycle Incentive Kickstart for the Environment, or e-bike act would cover 30% of the cost of e-bikes. I, right? you know, yeah. I'm sure would... that I'm sure the uh, acronym <laughs> came before the, uh, before the, the title of the act is like, how can we make this s- into e-bike? Like how can we make e-bike an acronym? Are you suggesting this wasn't a coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> I am outright saying this was not a coincidence. Huh, interesting. Well, it would cover uh, the e-bike act would cover 30% of the cost of e-bikes with the sticker price up to $8,000. So that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. That's um, pretty nice. I don't story from Earl says electric bicyclists are expanding the range of people who can participate and making bike commuting even easier. Yeah. There was a time where you get, I think, is it still true you get tax credit for having an electric vehicle? Like an electric car, I, I should say. I think in Oregon there is, yeah. Yeah. So was, I don't I see why like not. Five grand. It's like five grand? I can't remember now. I don't see why not. Like, it seems it seems pretty, uh, pretty obvious to me uh, or pretty simple to me uh, mm-hmm. to go ahead and make that happen. But I'm also not in government. I, so. Yeah. You're not? <laughs> You're I was not in a... student government. Once, uh, okay. I, I fucked <laughs> I got out of there. One time. One time. So I also wanted to share, this isn't exactly a headline, but I also just wanted to share an Instagram account that I'm sure lots of folks are already following, but I just found, and boy, has this account been giving me so much joy to follow. (laughs) Um, If you all have not been following Bike Life Rex on Instagram, uh, go ahead and look up the account. This is a I don't know how, I don't know if they're teenagers or folks in their twenties, but they're basically riding, I don't know, their BMX bikes or their BMX style bikes around Philly on the streets doing all sorts of great tricks. And there's just this real, the ghost ride urban switch. bike joyfulness. Yeah. Oh, totally. The ghost, I mean, that ghost like ride switch pushing the, the I mean, so amazing. Uh, we'll link to that one in the show notes. It's just, these are, these are just folks who are great athletes and are just having such a great time. And I was going to say doing what we do. I don't do anything like what they do, but, but also <laughs> just seeing people just, you know, 
he, I think he's also doing a GoFundMe to raise uh, money for kids to get bikes, but I didn't look that much into it. So um, that's Bike Life Rex on Instagram. It's a super fun account. And if you just need a little bit of joyfulness in your in your day, go check that yeah. out. I think I'll put that GoFundMe in our notes and we can link to that. I just yeah, found it. Okay. And then, uh, and then maybe that, yeah, that ghost bike one too. That's a good one. I'll look for that. And <laughs> That's that so in. fun. Ghost riding. Not ghost yes, bike. Ghost oh riding. yeah. Not ghost bike. That's different. <laughs> That's totally different. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some mail. <laughs> Have we got mail? Do we? Our friend Dan Kaufman got in touch with us to let us know that the song he sang um, a few months ago with us when, gosh, was that late November, early December, Ride On, Stride On, uh, has now been produced and released on Bandcamp as of March 5th. Uh, Dan nice. says he uh, the song is meant to inspire perseverance during life's hardships and as a counterpoint to the hurricane song that Dan and his band released last June. So go take a listen. And thanks for letting us know, Dan. Glad to share that. Glad to share that with folks. Also, another past guest that was that is also a musician, Dr. Something, writes to us, Howdy, pals. Been a while since I released new tunes, but I'm excited to announce that my new EP is finished and will be dropping tomorrow, which was last weekend, uh, Friday. It's a five-song dork pop chamber pop EP I recorded in my bedroom this past month. Hope you like it. You know, I looked that up. Uh, yeah. When we got that, but then I found the, the, uh, the Transit EP that doctor something had. Yes. Oh, man, that was awesome. <laughs> so, then I, I have, so now I still have to listen to this new one. Yeah, I can't guarantee it's transit-related, but I can guarantee you will enjoy it. Did you guys get out, like, in these nice days that happened last week? Oh, yeah, totally. I, went, I got on a the... ride in on Saturday and Sunday. Nice. I missed getting out over the weekend, but I was out uh, with Anna last Wednesday on my day off. That was pretty nice. Um, I am noticing, does this happen to you? Has this ever happened to you? Uh, Now with the pandemic, like I get that people are wanting to like keep social distance. And I totally agree with that. I think that's a good idea. Um, but what I have found in my neighborhoods that I ride through is the people who walk up and down the streets, probably that they live in, um, like in the middle of the street, even if the sidewalk is empty. Do you, does this happen to you? Yes. Yeah. They're doing that. They're just walking in the street. And we're not talking about like a neighborhood greenway. We're talking about just a... There's plenty of room on the sidewalk and they're not running because sometimes people run sometimes, in the streets. Yeah. Sometimes people run in the street because the supposedly, I don't know if this is true, the but it's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Right. But well, no, it, the, it responds to the levels. You don't have to worry about curbs and, and oh, okay. sidewalks broken and all that stuff. So you run in the street, which also has potholes, but <laughs> um, 
So and so you don't you, I, you you don't you don't enjoy this behavior. I've complained about this in a different form before. <laughs> so stop me if you heard this one, but no, I don't necessarily enjoy it. I have a hard time with it. In that, I see it mostly done along color color lines. Uh, I see it mostly done in white neighborhoods by white people usually of more, at least appearingly, apparently more affluent backgrounds. Um, I see, I see it done in, in a more brazen sense than I see in neighborhoods, which aren't um, as, as predominantly white. And I also don't trust that well, these people who are taking the street would also give me those same courtesies that they are expecting to take were they in a car and I'm on my bike. Right, because, you know, people reclaiming streets from cars for pedestrian uses seems like a good thing. I'm but if the only neighborhoods... Great. Right, but if the only neighborhoods where it can happen in any sort of way are where are the ones that tend to be those with more infrastructure anyway and less traffic and where folks have more privilege and feel more comfortable asserting themselves, then it's just one more thing where, you know, a further further divide between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. 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 And the, um, I don't know, the privileged, but not even necessarily the privilege. Like, it's just this this sense of ownership that, I see people that I see ingrained in people that I, I don't necessarily have myself, regardless of how long I've lived here. Oh, so you're a tiny bit like jealous of that too, of feeling like they get to just sort of claim the streets. I don't know if jealous is the right word. I think it it is. (laughs) (laughs) I think we know what's going on here. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess maybe there's a, there's maybe a sense of like, yeah, why can't I? Right. And then you're like, do I get to though, if I'm not, you know, a rich white person living in a rich white neighborhood. And, and to take it a little bit further, like several times, on our ride, Anna and I have had to swerve because someone just literally walked out into the street. And like, I get streets should be safe. I have no problem with that. Like with, with not necessarily like having to be on high alert all the time. And, but my belief is this, this uh, communicates a, a, uh, a sense of privilege that somebody was given or, or somebody grew up with that, that allows them to think that people will just move out of their way regardless. Well, and, and you think that these folks might have the same attitude when they are driving or whatever. Yes. So and it's not because to, they're pedestrians. Right. Yeah. Right. Coming back to, I don't trust these same people, be they in a car would give me these same courtesy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. And this has been psychology corner with it. Yeah. So when you feel jealous of these people, <laughs> does it remind you of your relationship with your siblings when oh you were God. Yes. Oh, they got What did they, they have 
that you didn't have. My older brothers <laughs> always got the new clothes, and I always got their hand-me-downs. And then my little brother always got, like, all the privileges. Man, being a middle child sucks. And so when you see those people, are they more like your older brother, your little brother? And Armando's just gone. He's, he's left like, the room. like, screw this. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, anything you guys want to get off your chest, please don't let me be the only one. I'm still thinking you know, about yours. <laughs> Huh. I'll tell you what, I, there have been some things that I've been pretty fired up about lately, but you know, some of it's just local political stuff that's been making me mad. So that might not be of wide interest to folks. And then, and I've, you know, remained very mad at the Oregon department of transportation. So in case anybody was wondering how I am feeling about them, <laughs> but they just put a lies this, this being study. uncovered. Yeah. They just put out this study, like showing how, uh, you know, inequality is built into the infrastructure and yeah, you know, because they built it a, there because <laughs> they put it there. Yeah. <laughs> they put it there. That's, that's a step towards, towards them fixing it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right? ODOT's like, okay, so we're going to make this road. So we need some of these beams. We need cement. Let's make some concrete. Let's get some big things in. And where's our, uh, where's our inequity? Where's our structural racism? Make sure to add that into the mix. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's an essential part of any All right. building we project. We did the study. We did the study. <laughs> why don't, why can't we build here now? I think it's been so interesting to hear. I think Peter was exactly right. You know, that, that mayor Pete is saying things that, you know, if, if our local officials said it, People would would be oh man can you imagine uh, the freaking Portland, out. Can you imagine the Portland and now it seems Alliance like going going nuts. And now you know we've got uh, we've got talking about um, highways and systemic racism and things like that. And and the Oregon Department of Transportation still barreling ahead with some of these projects. There was but a they did oh, the study. <laughs> We are going to be talking more. We we don't do this a lot, but we'll uh, we'll tease our next episode here, and we will be talking some more about this on the next yeah. episode of this with some um, young and extraordinarily talented, bright uh, activists who have who are who are also fired up about the Oregon Department of Transportation. I've heard some of them <laughs> testifying testifying to ODA, and it's just glorious yeah. you know yeah teens bullying the oregon dot is just that's like the way it should be that's the way it should don't be. give me no so kids see over that either so kids bully your bully your uh state your highway department state, yeah <laughs> <laughs> bully your local bureaucracies mm-hmm <laughs> all right well on that note let's do this <laughs> let's do to- this The Sprocket Podcast is produced at home until we can all get our COVID vaccines. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text at 503-847-9774. 
Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan Jane Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Wise. Doug Cohen-Miller, Todd Parker, Chris Smith. Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado. Drew the Welder, Anna, you'll be home soon. Andre Johnson. <laughs> King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Mac Nurse, David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, hey, Emma me. Rooks. Kaka! <laughs> <laughs> Marshall, Paula Funitake, Cyclecraft. Philip M., Spartan Dale, No Relation. No Relation. Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative, Keweenaw, Sarah G. Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Heyman. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G, Rachel Moline. And welcome back to our newest and returning donor, Jimmy Diesel. Jimmy Diesel. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And wear your mask.